Welcome back to our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid, where we talk to researchers previously funded by Australian Rotary Health about their research findings. I'm Jessica Cooper, and with us today on episode 21 is Dr. Brienne Hobden from the University of Newcastle. Dr. Hobden was awarded an Ian Scott PhD scholarship by Australian Rotary Health from 2015 to 2017. Her thesis focused on understanding and improving healthcare services for those with comorbid alcohol misuse and depression. Brienne submitted her thesis in April 2018. Brienne now works as a full-time research associate with the Health Behaviour Research Collaborative at the University of Newcastle and is currently a recipient of the ARH Colin Dodds Postdoctoral Fellowship examining the comorbidity of mental health problems and alcohol and other drug use within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, a neglected area. So thank you so much, Bree, for joining us um, on today's podcast episode. How's everything been going for you at the moment? Yeah, it's going well, going well. It's um, very busy. Um, just, yeah, lots of lots of different avenues popping up with everything going on at the moment. And um, yeah, just still enjoying working remotely from home so yeah, yeah. it's going well <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear yeah it's um it's kind of yeah varied across you know different people yeah some people I guess who are in Melbourne at the moment in the lockdown I think they're they're kind of struggling but yeah I guess yeah, it's absolutely kind of different for everyone how they're coping with all of this but yeah it's yeah that yeah things are going well and that, that yeah working from home is, is suiting you well yeah yeah <laughs> thanks um, so I guess, yeah, it's, um, it's been a couple of years now since you submitted your PhD thesis um, on depression management for individuals uh, with comorbid alcohol dependence. And um, to do that PhD, you, you received some funding from Australian Rotary Health. Um, I guess to start off, would you mind telling us um, a bit about what led you decide to do a, um, a PhD in this particular area? Yeah, of course. So, um, so I've always been really passionate about the field of mental health. Um, before I left school, I kind of knew that I wanted to do something uh, in this field. Uh, my undergraduate research was in psychology. Uh, and when I finished that, I went on to work with uh, my behavioral health research team um, who, uh, after a few years of working there, they were, I decided to undertake my PhD and they were doing a large um, national trial about um, predictors of successful alcohol treatment. So my PhD kind of came out of that um, with the thought that it would be really interesting to explore kind of mental health amongst this group. So um, when the opportunity presented and then um, with some extremely helpful funding from Rotary, uh, I was able to pursue that as my doctoral thesis. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like a very interesting area, just, um, yeah, exploring comorbidity. It's, I guess it's not something that a lot of people think about um, you know, when, when treating mental health problems. So I guess, um, do you want to tell us a bit about the initial aims of that PhD and, and what the project was about? Yeah, so um, so as I mentioned, it kind of initially came out of um, this study that we were kind of already undertaking about um, alcohol use and um, thinking through kind of some something I could derive from that, um, which is how the depression 
uh, question came up. Uh, so it was initially kind of thinking through uh, people with alcohol dependence, but then we kind of expanded from there and um, wanted to look more broadly at um, alcohol misuse and depression within different uh, settings. So we examined um, both general practice settings and alcohol treatment settings as part of my PhD research. Um, and we were interested in kind of looking at um, the rate of co-occurring alcohol misuse and depression within these settings uh, and then also potential characteristics that might uh, help us uh, look at groups, subgroups within that that might be um, more likely to be affected, like whether age or gender or, um, you know, any health conditions might uh, be related to having that comorbidity. Um, and then also to look at detection uh, from health practitioners. So how well that they were, they are able to um, recognize alcohol misuse and depression amongst their patient groups. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a very interesting study. Um, well, what kind of findings came from it? Uh, so we have a few different findings. So um, in the general practice setting, we surveyed over 3,500 people. Um, so obviously this is kind of a general population setting, like uh, around 80, 85% of people consult with their general practitioner every year. So um, it's, you, you get a large range of individuals. Um, and when we screened them for depression, we found um, approximately one in 15 people had some level of this co-occurring condition. So that's about six to 7%, which is, pretty high for um, a kind of general population setting. Um, and part of the reason for that is because we did look at a kind of spectrum of alcohol misuse ranging from mild to more severe. So um, it's not too hard going from um, national standards on, for health on alcohol. It's not too hard to fall into that mild category. Um, so to kind of dig a bit deeper, we wanted to look at for people that were experiencing depression, whether there was any predictors of that, the more kind of severe alcohol misuse groups. Um, and we find some interesting findings there that uh, younger people, males, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and individuals with less than two chronic diseases were more likely to be in a higher risk group for alcohol um, while experiencing depression. So um, and some things you would expect, like younger people are obviously um, tend to drink at higher rates um, because they're kind of just just so like it's a social kind of thing and they're usually just getting introduced with it so um, not surprising there but we also do know that um, the more alcohol exposure earlier in life the more it can become a problem in later life so um, potentially and compounded with depression um, some potentially really important findings there um, also males do drink typically at higher rates than females. So um, that was to be expected. Um, we did find that there was really not a lot out there about um, comorbidity in Aboriginal health when, when we discovered this finding, which I'll touch on a little bit. Um, that kind of led into my fellowship. So um, we obviously have statistics about depression and separately alcohol misuse amongst Aboriginal people, but less so about the kind of interaction of these conditions. So um, yeah, quite an interesting finding there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, we went on to kind of look at detection um, from general practitioners and we found that they only detected about um, one in five individuals that had this co-occurring condition. So 
and um, some people were detected for either depression or alcohol misuse, but um, about four in 10 people were detected that had both conditions were detected as having none. So um, potentially quite a vulnerable group there that were um, quite under, like under detected and potentially um, might need some help. So um, yeah, and then just moving into that outpatient treatment setting, um, there was, we, so this is kind of a more specialized setting where obviously people are going to seek treatment for um, more kind of severe alcohol use and um, substance use. And we found um, in this group of a group of 200 people, uh, about 55% screened positive for depression. So mm. like one to two people coming through there kind of experiencing that elevated level of depression. Um, and that clinicians, they performed a bit better in this setting. They were able to detect about 73% of positive cases, um, but still, you know, a quarter of people going, going on um, detected there and obviously probably experiencing a high mental health burden um, undergoing the treatment. Um, and just one other interesting thing uh, was that our clinicians actually was less experienced clinicians that were more accurate in detecting mental health in their patients compared to their more experienced experienced counterparts, uh, which is interesting because it might mean that the field is kind of getting a bit of traction and maybe starting to come through in their education and um, in like their kind of practical yeah. Um, experience. So yeah, hopefully becoming yeah, a bit more aware. Very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that can, yeah, probably, yeah, inform a lot of, um, you know, practices, you know, like in the future and, you know, different research areas. Is there anything else going on with that? I know with your postdoctoral fellowship, you're looking at comorbidity in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Is, is that, yeah, flow on from that? Yeah, so um, definitely that original, um, that finding from the general practice setting about um, Aboriginal people experiencing the more severe issues definitely um kick-started my search into this field and um, obviously kept going with my fellowship um, when I was undertaking that research. And yeah, there's just very little out there. Um, so we know some information like uh, that Indigenous uh, people experience an overburdening of mental health conditions such as depression. Um, and we also know while they typically uh, drink less frequently than um, non-Indigenous Australians. When they do drink, they tend to do so at higher rates and um, potentially impacted thereby um, a, a multitude of life stresses um, they experience more frequently than non-Indigenous people. Um, so yeah, I kind of wanted to carry across a similar idea, but with a focus on Indigenous people to try and build up this field a bit more. And hopefully um, with the idea that we can, if we kind of unpack a bit more of the complexity around mental health and substance use that we might be able to um, better improve um, treatment pathways and um, and support for these individuals. So, um, so is that what you see um, will will carry on from this research? You know, improving yeah practice, or do you think there might be some other implications as well? Yeah. So um, I guess in the first instance, um, I think it's important that we kind of collect information to find out the scope of the problem. Um, so uh, I'm looking at a couple of different avenues for my research. Initially was intending to um, conduct a similar thing with, with screening in clinics uh, that I did for my undergraduate, but in Aboriginal medical services. But um, COVID has kind of 
impacted that a little bit. Um, obviously, it's really hard to get into many medical clinics at the moment. So um, I have searched a few other avenues um, and, and will hopefully, hopefully be uh, examining a national data set um, from the ABS. So um, they conduct a survey every few years um, on Aboriginal health. So if um, I'm able to access that data and then look at um, kind of rates of comorbidity from that, it will give us a really um, kind of representative sample of um, comorbidity across Australia, which um, will give us an idea of how, how big a problem is and how big a problem it is and how much um, resources we might be able to put into it. And then also looking at um, what we think might be beneficial for um, Indigenous people experiencing this. So, um, which I hope to um, conduct some uh, kind of interviews with Indigenous people to find out what uh, their perspective on what um, could impact their community and uh, like what areas might need help for, for them. So um, I have, in so far I have heard that um, Aboriginal medical services are feeling very overburdened by mental health um, and, and potentially very um, under-resourced to deal with uh, the extent of the problem. So uh, hopefully kind of drawing in on that and drawing attention to such a big area might kind of help get some more resource into that field. So. Yeah. So I guess is that the main initial aim of this um, postdoctoral fellowship program um, project? You know, just you know, finding the extent of the problem, the problem, or is there yes. more to it? Or yeah, uh, yeah. So finding the extent of the problem, um, finding out about uh, you know, looking at that detection side of things again, whether um, practitioners are aware of the extent of the problem, um, and yeah, and hopefully once we've kind of identified that, we can move on to further work in the area, kind of looking um, at whether there's um, you know, any kind of interventions or quality improvement things that we might be able to do in practice that could potentially help individuals affected by comorbidity. Hmm. Yeah, well, it, it certainly sounds like, um, yeah, that there's, there's so much more research that can be done from, from this research that you're doing now, and there's so much more knowledge um, that, that we need. Um, so it sounds like a very yeah. important area. Yeah, yes, yes, I hope so. I hope it will kind of have flow-on effects um, for this field. Yeah. Yeah, and how are you going with your research at the moment? Like you, you've just started this year, haven't you? Yes, started this year, um, started a month before everything started to shut down. So um, kind of was expecting to get things going relatively quickly. But um, as I said, I've been, and as we all have been, dealt quite a few curveballs from COVID. Um, but it, there is a positive side from that. So the restrictions placed on, um, you know, accessing medical services and things like that. Yeah. Um, there was a pause put on essentially all research in that field and particularly face-to-face -face research, which mine was going to be. Um, so I kind of started exploring other avenues that I might be able to pursue while we're waiting for things to hopefully go back to some sense of normalcy, um, which is the, um, the national data set ID came about and also um, some other work that we're doing with some e-health informatics companies who um, offer like clinical desktops, which GPs record um, health information in so um, hopefully doing some collaboration with them to um, have a look at diagnostic rates of um, depression and substance use in um, in clinical services so th those ideas um, 
be really important for the field and kind of came about because because of the um the barriers that we encountered due to COVID. So um Yeah, well yeah. it's good that there's that flexibility there to, you know, kind of, you know, change it around a little bit and, you know, go in a different avenue. So yeah, that's that's yeah. good. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, it's always nice to see, I guess, what, what comes out of the research that um, Australian Rotary Health funds and, and promoting these findings really show our Rotarians um, that what they're doing to raise money for research is, is really meaningful. Um, I suppose for you, um, the funding from Australian Rotary Health um, might have, you know, helped to start off your research career. Um, could you maybe tell us a bit about the impact that research funding has had on researchers like yourself or, or why it's important to continue supporting mental health research? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's definitely so vital to what um, myself and my entire research group, so research group do. So, so we're entirely funded through um, re like competitive research grants, so kind of everything that we um, like all of our staff, are, um, except for our director, are employed through these research grants that we get, and it is an incredible, like, incredibly competitive field. So, um, to have these avenues to kind of um, like Australian Health to source funding um, for this research is just incredible. And as you said, Jess, my um, po my doctoral work and my postdoctoral work have both been funded from Rotary, so it's had a huge impact in. Um, like shaping my career and allowing me to be in the field that I really am interested in continuing to work in in a field that I think is really important. So, um, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful for the support that um, Rotary and the entire community have um, provided for me and provided for mental health research in general. So, yeah, it's massive. <laughs> It sounds like, yeah, a very important area of work. And I think, yeah, Indigenous mental health in particular, it's something that's not really, um, you know, there's not a lot of research on it. So, yeah, you know, doing research into that, that's, that's yeah, it's really great. So, yeah, yeah. I thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I, I guess before we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, oh, just, just thank you for having me. Um, thank you for all the work that you and Rotary and uh, all the community's been doing. I know um, you guys have been hit really hard um, from all this COVID stuff, like essentially a group that's based around social events, not being able to hold social events. I know that's um, probably been really tough, but the kind of positivity and support on like that comes out of um, Rotary and the community is always really humbling. So just a big thank you to everyone and thank you to you for, for finding these new avenues to get research information out there in these strange times <laughs> yeah uh, well yeah thank you so much again yeah it's been really great to have you, have oh, you thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well that was the 21st episode of our podcast called the research behind lift the lid it's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in australia are doing to help make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness if you can, please support important mental health research like Breeze by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.